you all this morning. Celebrate Father's Day that he will really, really reach and touch your heart. And um, we, we celebrate Father's Day this morning, which in itself is a wonderful reason to celebrate. And um, welcome to each one of you that are fathers, not only real fathers with real children, but also spiritual fathers. It's, I think it's a good day, you know. It's, there's, there's a lot of, there's perhaps a somewhat uh, commercial side to it, but I think still it's good for us to stand still some days to celebrate particular people and events. And like today is, is Father's Day, exactly six weeks ago, Sunday morning, it was Mother's Day. And on Mother's Day morning, um, a bunch of us received a message from Louis saying that he wouldn't be able to be at church this morning because Antoinette had fallen ill. And Antoinette had been taken to a hospital and she was admitted to emergency services. And, you know, when you receive a message like that, it is not completely insignificant, but when I read it, it's like, okay, there's concern, and we immediately sent messages to say, we'll pray for them, and you immediately start reaching out, what is there that you can do, and so on, like we do with anybody else that we get news of that has fallen ill. But you immediately have this hope and almost an expectation that the person is going to improve, that they're going to become healthy again, that you're going to pray for them and that you're going to reach out to them. And whereas the initial news is bad, the news is going to start improving. And that's exactly what I felt. And she was admitted to a hospital and they started doing tests and so on to find out what it was that was making Antoinette ill. And I can remember that as I prayed for her as clear as I can hear anybody's voice, I heard God saying to me, he said, no harm will befall her. And I was so sure about it. That's what he said, no harm will befall her. And I let her know that. And I let Louis know that. And all of us came together. So many of you prayed and prayed and reached out to her. And initially, they diagnosed her with cancer and the cancer... They had to be operated on that to remove the cancer, and initially the news was very good that the cancer had been removed, that it seemed that she was clean and that she would have to receive further treatment, but generally speaking, the news was, was good. And after a difficult stay in hospital, she eventually went home, and I kept praying, and I kept standing on that word that God gave to me, and I kept trusting, and I said, God, but I stand on that word that you gave me, that no harm will befall her, expecting any moment that there was going to be a miracle, that she was going to be healthy. And that's what so many of us believed and stood for and prayed for. And we believed that God was going to be faithful to his word and that we were going to see the victory from these circumstances, that we were going to experience God's hand in this. And yet, as time went on, it started getting worse and worse and started falling ill and ill, and we kept believing. But at the end of the day, she passed away early yesterday, uh, Friday morning, as Dani has said. And when something like that happens, it immediately brings me to a place where, but God, where is your faithfulness? Where is your victory in this? How is it that you give me a word that everything is going to be fine, that no harm will befall her, and I put my trust in you, and I pray and I believe in you, and I know that you are almighty, and I know you're able to heal, but she dies. 
And all of us have gone through things like this. Many of you have suffered exactly the kind of circumstances and have gone through the same thing as Louis and Isabel and Tiens are going through today. And some of you have gone through things that may be different to that. You have lost children. You, terrible things have happened to you. You have gone through a divorce. Your life, as you pictured it, was turned out differently. And when we go through things like this, it is difficult to see God's faithfulness in those circumstances, particularly when the expectations that we have for our own lives and for what God is to do in our lives are not met. And we've been busy with this series talking about God's faithfulness where we've looked at the lives of, of Elijah and the times that he lived in and we looked at the book of 1 Kings and we've been looking at God's faithfulness week after week and being so encouraged about the fact that we serve a faithful God. But if we're really honest with ourselves and if we look at our lives and we think about the things that have happened to us throughout this life and we're in a moment such as the one that we are in now, it is extremely difficult to find something to hold on to about God's faithfulness. And I really believe that God has, through the, the series that we've planned and what we have gone through this word week after week, and even this morning, the scripture that we pre-planned and thought that we were going to look at it this morning, that even in that, God is providing something for us about His faithfulness and His word. So I'm going to ask you to please open your Bibles with me, and it's going to be up on the screen behind me as well. We're going to look at 1 Kings 18, and we're going to look at, at verse, verses 20 to 41, and it's quite a long piece. But just to give you a little bit of background, those of you that may have not have been here the past few weeks or you're visiting us this morning, what we have been looking at is the life of Elijah, who was a prophet, and he lived in the time of a king called Ahab, and what the Bible tells us about this king Ahab was that he was a terrible man. It says that he was worse than anyone that had ever gone before him. And the environment in Israel at that time that he was living one was in one where Christians, well not Christians, but believers in God was persecuted by the followers and the prophets of Baal. And there was no place for people who served God anymore, and which brought them to a place of real hopelessness, where they had to be afraid, where they had to be scared, where those that were God's prophets had to hide. But in this terrible environment, in this terrible time that Elijah is living in through the life of Elijah, we see God reaching out through him and in the lives of people, and we see these wonderful pockets, these little islands of amazing things where God is still being faithful. But what we learn from the book of, of, of Kings, or, or the first book of the kingdoms, as it is actually called in, in Hebrew, is that we see God's faithfulness. But if we talk about God's faithfulness as it happened to the nation of Israel, it was not only Him being faithful to His word in the good things, but also Him being faithful to His word in the bad things. That when we see that there's this time of drought, and even the fact that there is a drought is because of God's faithfulness. 
because he said to everybody, because if you do not follow me, if you do not obey my commandments, this is what will happen to you. There will be a drought. But if you return to me, it will rain again and you will receive my, my blessing. And where we are this morning is, is that we're going to look at this wonderful event that you all most probably heard of, or even if you haven't grown up in church, you probably heard somewhere of this, this myth, this story, this thing that happened, and you may not necessarily believe it, but you know, may know about it. And it's about this event that happened on Mount Carmel, where there was this amazing conflict between Elijah and the God that he followed and the followers of Baal, the Baal prophets. So that's where we're going to look at this morning, where it is... We, we enter the scene at a point where Elijah has been told by God that he has to go back to Ahab. And he has to confront this king, this evil king. And he has to do something through which God is going to demonstrate his faithfulness. So let's start reading. And I'm going to stop every now and again to talk about it a little bit. 1 Kings from verse 20, uh, 18 from verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel. So this is the king. So he sends to all the people of Israel. And he gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? So just to get the, the picture right. So Ahab is the king. He calls all the people, the nation of Israel, together to come to this Mount Carmel. And Elijah is there. And the prophets of Baal are there. And Elijah is now starting to address, he's starting to talk to the people. And he says to them, he asks them a question, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. You can almost see these Israelites. They're coming together and they see there's something crazy that's going to happen here. There's going to be a showdown here. There's going to be conflict here. And Elijah confronts them. He confronts the people. And he says to them, how long are you going to be limping between two different opinions? And that's literally, that word pasach that you see there, that's literally what the word means. It means to hesitate or to limp between two opinions or two ideas. And you can literally see this picture of someone that can't walk properly because they are limping. And the reason that they are limping is, is that they cannot make up their minds. There's this idea of a God that they are called to serve the God of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's this Baal. And Elijah's confronting them and he says to them, how long are you going to be limping between two different opinions? And it's such an important moment that when we talk about the faithfulness of God, that most often we find ourselves that when we start to think about the faithfulness of God and we start to think about the faithfulness of God in circumstances like we may find ourselves in this morning when the most difficult things in our lives happen, we're constantly weighing when was God good 
and when was he bad? When were good things happening to me? When were bad things happening to me? And it's like we're trying to keep count. It's like we've got a balance sheet and we're trying to see, well, has he been more faithful or has he been more unfaithful to me? Has he given me more of what I wanted or has he not given me more of wanted? And we're constantly conflicted by these ideas to a point where we go through life and we're limping. We're not walking straight. We're not upright. And the same word that Elijah confronts them with this morning is the words that you and I are confronted with, and it is how long will you and I go limping between two different opinions, wondering about God's faithfulness. He then goes on and he says in verse 22, he says, Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Can you see that situation? Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. Now, you can see that Elijah is starting to put up a test here. He's putting up a test. And what is so interesting, if you go a few verses back that I read, and when Elijah confronted the people with the fact that they were limping between two different opinions, the people did not say a word. It says there, the people did not say a word. And you can see that the reason why they are not saying a word is, is that they do not want to commit. Because they want to see what happens first. They want to see how this thing plays out before they're willing to commit themselves. And then Elijah goes on and he says, And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God. Now he's addressing the Baal prophets. And I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. Now listen to the people's reaction. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. You see how almost pathetic it is. We initially says to them, make up your minds. They're dead quiet. They're not going to commit. And then he says, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to put up this test. We're going to see who the real God is, the one who answers by fire. The people say, oh, that sounds like a good plan. We don't have to make any decisions here. We can wait and we can see how this God or which of these gods proves themselves to us. And then we will make a, a decision. And then it goes on and it says from verse 25, it says, Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. For you are many, and call upon the name of your God. Put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around. They limped around the altar that they had made. You see almost how pathetic that this is, is that the fact that they call out to Baal is not enough. So what do they do? They start limping around. Now, it's not enough that I call out to them. I'm starting to almost look for attention. I'm trying to draw this God's attention. Not only do they do that, let's, let's look at what it says. It says, and they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked him saying, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. 
you know, Elijah's pointing out how silly this is. How silly this idea is that you have to look for attention for this God that does not answer you, that is not faithful to you. It gets worse. He says, look at what they do. They say, and they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. You look at the situation. It looks so ridiculous. It sounds so ridiculous. But if you think about it, it's a little bit about how we go through life as well. You know, when we cry out and the world isn't going like we want it to go and when things are not happening the way that we want them to do and we start limping around, you know, starting to, you know, almost look for attention, trying to blame other people, trying to, to not take responsibility for our own lives, you know, almost pretending, you know, that I'm more hurt than you are. You know, it's, it's going worse with me than it is with you. You must feel sorry for it myself. Do you understand my situation? Do you know how bad it is for me? And not only that, they start cutting themselves. You know, they start hurting themselves. Because no idol worship will ever be good for you. It is damaging to you. It destroys your life. But it's this picture of where they're trying to work for their God's attention, where they're trying to do something for Him to show that He is faithful to them, and it's not coming to anything. You know, we think about this foolishness of idol worship, and we think, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's so ridiculous, these people that, that pray to these false gods, you know, these, these wooden statues or these rocks, you know, we say it's so crazy. No person can ever do that. Or no person will ever do that in their, in their right minds. And Isaiah, in, in, in chapter 44, you can go and read it yourself at home, he paints this wonderful picture about the foolishness of idol worship. He talks about this man, he talks about this man that takes a tree or he plants a tree in this forest and the, and the tree grows. And as the tree grows, he takes some of its branches for wood and he takes the wood and he makes a fire with it. And he takes the fire and he bakes bread with the bread and he eats the bread. And he warms himself and he says, oh, I'm satisfied. And he cooks meat on it and he eats it to fill himself. But then it says, but then he takes that tree and he cuts it off and he takes some of it. And he uses it for good, but then he takes the rest of it and he makes an idol of it and he bows to that idol. And the foolishness of this and how we take things that God have created and he's created it good and we create idols out of it. And if we think about that idea, it's almost as if we want to bring distance between us and idol worship. But the fact is, is that our hearts are idol factories because an idol is Anything that you have in your life that you harbor in your heart that is meant as a substitution for something that you can only get from God. You see, what the, only, the only person that we can get our identity from, that we can derive meaning from, 
that we can get security from, and that we can get joy from, is God. Yet, when it comes to our identities, to finding meaning in life, to finding security in life, and finding joy in life, we are constantly finding substitutes for what we can only get from God. And men, this morning I want to speak to you. It's Father's Day. But I want to call you specifically this morning. I'm, I'm talking to myself as, as much as I'm talking to you. You know, it's wonderful that we are, are called examples and that our wives and our children and our friends and family look up to us as followers of Jesus Christ. But I want to ask you this morning to be honest with yourself and to search your heart and to say, what, is, what are the idols in my life? What is there that I look for my identity in something else than my creator? What is there that I find meaning in other than living a life following Jesus? What is there that I find my security in that is anything else but depending on God, my provider? And what is there in my life that I run after to give me joy where I should be only giving it to the one that can truly give me joy, not temporary happiness, but real joy. Because if we serve God and derive our identity and our meaning and our security and our joy from Him, that is when people can truly start to follow us, that is when they can truly look to us for, as examples, and that is when we truly will see our circumstances, our marriages, our wives, our children, our colleagues, our friends will see their lives change because it is in God's that we have meaning. And I call to you this morning to follow Jesus in that and not to have any idols in your life. Idols are not only pieces of wood that followers of Baal were bowing down to. And then it goes on from verse 30, and it says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two, as, two sayers of seed. Just to pause there for a moment, two sayers of seed is not that much. It's three and a half gallons. It's about 13 liters. But you must remember we're on top of a mountain in a time of drought. And he's building a trench there because there's something that he wants to show about God's might. He says the following. And he put the wood in order, and he cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar, and it filled the trench also with water. So you can see in your mind's eye how much water they had to pour there and on this mountain in this time of drought. And you... If you've ever made a fire, you know you don't need, I can take a cup of water and pour it over your dry wood and you're going to have great difficulty lighting a fire. But he's saying pouring water on it, pour water on it, pour water on it. 
then he says, and at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and he said, and just listen to the simplicity of this prayer. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. It's so short and so simple. And if you compare that short and simple prayer that Elijah is praying to his God, to what the Baal prophets were doing, it's just a simple demonstration of what it means to put your faith in God or trying to work for God's attention. You know, we don't have to come with long prayers and long stories and all our accomplishments and the things we do right to God. It's just simple, turning to Him, honestly talking to Him, calling on Him as our Heavenly Father. How great it is on this Father's Day to start to realize as we look to this, that we've got such a good Father. We've got such a great example. When my children come to me, I don't want them to come to me with long stories and explanations and tell me how good good they are at things so that they can get my attention. I just want them to come to me. I want to be able to go to them. And then there's this amazing moment in verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and it consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord he is God. The Lord, He is God. And God comes in a moment on a simple prayer of faith and He reveals His faithfulness to His people. And He reveals that He is true to His word and He is faithful to them and He gives victory to them. And it goes on from there to explain that how all those bold prophets were then killed and it ends off in verse 41 and said, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing rain. And we know from as we read on that God was faithful and that the rain came. And he did it from this moment of victory. And we're going to celebrate that victory this morning. And I'm going to ask the band to come up. But I started off speaking to you about where do we see God's faithfulness? Where do we see victory in His faithfulness in a time like this, where we've put our trust in Him, where we believed certain things, but despite our trust, despite the belief that we had, things do not turn out the way that we expected. And it is okay in this moment if you think of the most terrible loss that you have experienced in your life. And ask yourself, and ask God, it's okay to ask Him, but God, where is the victory in that? Where is the faithfulness in that? Because God is not intimidated by our questions. He's not intimidated by us running to Him 
and even pounding his chest sometimes and say, where were you? So God shows faithfulness. And even if we look at a scripture like this and we look at this wonderful, amazing story and we know it's the truth of how God came through the life of Elijah, and he demonstrated his faithfulness and victory. And we know that what happened after that was that the people turned away from God again. We see that bad things happened to them again. We see that there were times when God was silent again. There was 500 years of silence. I was... Two weeks ago, and Donnie and I was talking about, that, about this, and I was reading this, this, this part in Elijah. And I read that prayer that Elijah prayed. In verse 36, it says, At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abram, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And there was just something that flickered in my heart because it reminded me of a prayer that was prayed 2,000 years ago on a mountain. By a man that was sent by God. By a man that was God. That a man that was God that became man and came and he entered my world and your world and the lives of pain that we sometimes have and the loss that we have. And he became part of it. He experienced what we experienced. He cried like we do. He experienced loss like we do. And if you go to John 17... Verse 1 to 3 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see the similarity between Elijah calling out to God and saying, God, demonstrate who you are. So that the people may turn to you. And Jesus coming to his father on a mountain. Crying out to him and saying, now the time has come. Show the people who they are so that they turn to you. And what Jesus is saying, God, show the people that you're faithful. Show them. And God showed his faithfulness. And he showed his faithfulness by fire again. Because as that bull that was cut to pieces was put on an altar, so Jesus was cut to pieces. 
to pieces so that through these wounds we may receive healing. And he wasn't put on an altar, but he was put on a cross. Do you ever wonder why Jesus was so tormented? How he was sweating blood as the cross laid before him. Yet history tells us that so many of his followers after him went to the same death, joyful, laughing, celebrating. How is that? How could the Son of God be so afraid, sweat blood, but his followers, mere human beings like you and me, could do it full of joy? It's because there was something that lay ahead of Jesus that none of his followers ever have to experience. You see, just like God, when Elijah crawled out to him and said to him, but demonstrate who you are to these people, and God sent down that fire, and he burned that bull that was cut to pieces. In that moment where Jesus was hanging on the cross, he sent his fire again. He poured out his wrath on his only son so that you and I never have to experience that again. You and I never have to experience what Jesus did. And that's why we can go through this life experiencing victory, experiencing joy, being secure in our identity, knowing that we are sons of an almighty God that demonstrated His faithfulness to us by pouring out His wrath, His fire on His Son. That can give meaning to our lives. That's the greatest source of security that you and I can ever experience. And is the never-ending source of joy. Because there's no greater way to demonstrate your love for somebody and to give your life to them. So say this morning, well, where is God faithful in the victory? That's where He's faithful in victory. That's in which our victory lies. That's why in a time like this when we experience the greatest loss, in a time like this when Louis and Isabel and Tienz experience the greatest loss that a person has experienced, those of you that have lost children, have lost parents, have lost a husband or a wife, whatever it is, the most terrible thing that you, you experience victory even in those dark moments because of what Jesus did for you. And that's worth celebrating.